Hey, Chris, Adam, Rachel, how are you guys? It's been so long. Hey, man. We just wanted to, uh, you know, check on you. Yeah, ever since we finished Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, you've kind of gone MIA. Yeah, what have you uh, been up to? Oh, man, I've been so busy. I, I started rereading the Turtle comics, and, and I got the TMNT 90 movie score on vinyl, and I've been listening to that, like, nonstop. I watched 190 episodes of the 80s cartoon, the entire Nick series, beat the arcade game, beat the NES game, and Turtles in Time, like, three times each, watched the 2007 CGI movie, and watched Turtles 90 again, like, four more times. Oh, God. Dude, y you need to take a break. I, I even watched both Michael Bay movies. Again. Oh, no. God. God, guys, he's gone off the rails. I mean, truth be told, I've kind of felt a little directionless since the whole minute a day thing ended. Guys, guys, we need to help him. He's falling apart. He needs structure, and I think there's only one way to do it. Oh, please don't say it. We, we have, have to, to do, do Turtles, too. A minute at a time. I love this plan. I'm glad to be a part of it. Hey, hey, what are you guys whispering about? It's okay, Scott. We're here to help you. We're going to do The Secret of the Ooze a minute at a time. Think of it as like your daily dose of turtle therapy. It's like a sequel about the sequel. You might even say it'd be our... Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Second time around. I love you guys. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute Season 2, a podcast discussing the secret of the ooze, one minute at a time. Available wherever you get your podcasts. A sequel bunga. Dueling genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Ash Ketchum and maybe Pikachu from the Pokemon TV series. And joining us for the discussion is Michael Meehan. Welcome, Michael. Hello. Thank you. Very glad to have you on, and uh, particularly for a discussion about Pokemon, because I know this is a franchise with a very deep end of the, the pool, if you are familiar enough with it, and I am dipping a toe into the Pokemon franchise, uh, mostly for this discussion. It's some of my very first exposure to Pokemon, and uh, from what I know of you, Michael, you're a little bit more informed about Pokemon than I am. Uh, I would I would definitely say that. I, uh, I've been with Pokemon from the beginning, and I basically have never stopped. Uh, I, I remember when the anime premiered in the West. I remember watching that first episode I played every single one of the the mainline games, uh, at least one per iteration. They they usually do two of the mainline games per iteration, uh, and I played many of the spinoffs as well. So this is this is definitely my wheelhouse. <laughs> I I feel like I know just enough to understand how little I know <laughs> about Pokemon. Uh, in in skimming the the Wikipedia article and watching these episodes for today. It was like, okay, there's a whole world here that I, I don't know as well as many other people, because this is a very successful franchise with uh, a very wide and a very deep fan base, both. Right. Oh, certainly. And I mean, there's, there's plenty that I don't know The the anime has over a thousand episodes. There's been mangas. I have not read all of those. So I, 
I'm familiar enough to like recognize things, uh, but there's definitely things like people could reference. So I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, today we're going to be discussing two episodes from the Pokemon anime cartoon series. We're going to be talking about Bye Bye Butterfree, which tells the story of Ash releasing one of his Pokemon, Butterfree, to go join with its own kind. And it was written by Yukiyoshi Ohashi and directed by Tamagawa. And it first aired in Japan on August 19th, 1997. And in the United States on October 5th, 1998, it is the 21st episode of the first season of Pokemon. And then we're also talking about Pikachu's Goodbye, which tells the story of Ash letting one of his Pokemon, Pikachu, go join with its own kind. <laughs> this is the 39th episode of the first season and was written by Shinzo Fujita and directed by Hiroshi Sakai. And it first aired on April 16th, 1998 in Japan and November 20th, 1998 in the United States. Now, because of how fantastically successful this franchise has been, there is an awful lot of trivia that could be pulled in. I'm going to hit some of the highlights in the Michael, you're welcome to jump in with anything that you feel is either particularly interesting or relevant for our understanding of Pokemon. Um, the Pokemon franchise was first created in 1995 by Satoshi Tajiri and Tajiri wanted to recapture some of the joy he felt in his childhood when he would go insect collecting. And uh, he was trying to transfer some of that feeling into a video game. And that is kind of how he built the concept of Pokemon and the franchise is built around the concept of fictional small creatures called Pokemon that are caught and trained for a sports style battle by humans who are called the Pokemon trainers. Is that a a good one sentence summary of Pokemon there, Michael? Uh, Yes, I think that's a pretty good summary. Uh, The other thing I would note is that uh, Satoshi Tajiri, uh, the, the idea was not just from this bug catching thing, but also because of the Game Boy, it was the it had this link cable ability where people were able to connect between their games, and he saw that as an opportunity to not just have people compete, but also trade. And that's kind of where this monster catching thing came in. And then he he saw the analogy with bug uh, bug collecting, and it, it kind of just grew from there. Oh, so uh, he was trying to take advantage of this technology in a way that other maybe video games hadn't yet. Like he, he sees the technology and was trying to conceive of the best way to employ it. And so the idea of like trading the Pokemon that you caught with someone else um, mm-hmm. was something yes. that kind of intrigued him. And this I was like an idea that. he brought to Nintendo and they kind of were skeptical. Uh, and there was a lot of development issues with the first game, but it panned out and ended up by obviously more successful than I think anyone imagined at the time. <laughs> Well, about that success. Uh, So it began as that video game for Nintendo, for the Game Boy, as you noted. But it has grown to include the very long-running anime series, 23 films, including soundtrack CDs associated with those, 20 video games in the main series, but as you noted, there's also many smaller spinoff series, a a live-action film, a very popular card game, manga, apps, books, and a theme park are all built around Pokemon. So Mm -hmm. uh, this, this definitely has taken off. And Pokemon is the highest grossing media franchise of all time. Yes, it tops Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, superheroes, any other franchise, Harry Potter that you can think of. Pokemon outgrosses them. It has earned more than $90 billion. And again, this is a franchise that was created in 1995. I yep. can't fathom the amount of money that this franchise has brought in. Like it's, it's, it's imaginary numbers at this point. It kind of feels like for, uh, the monetization of the popularity of this franchise. Um, just uh, one thing I saw yeah. over 28.8 billion cards for the card game have been sold. There's just so many 
so many cards before. It's just absolutely insane. And when, you know, the game was originally going to be brought to the West, there was hesitation where uh, they they thought this isn't going to appeal to a Western audience. They because this was, you know, an RPG. It was very uh, Japanese and a lot of its its ideas. And they took that risk and it definitely paid off. Uh, uh, if you remember back in 2016 was when the first Pokemon mobile game came out. And that was, I mean, Nintendo stock jumped at that point by a significant amount until uh, people realized there's kind of a weird ownership situation with Pokemon. So they weren't making direct profit from Pokemon Go. Uh, but if you were outside, at least in the United States at that time, you would see dozens of people in any public area playing Pokemon Go for a solid two or three weeks. It was it was uh, quite the phenomenon to live through. Yeah, there's um, one of my favorite podcasts is called the Omnibus Podcast, and it's hosted by Ken Jennings of Jeopardy fame and John Roderick, uh, who's a musician, has been the, the Long Winters. Um, and they just cover esoterica from human history, like just weird, weird things. So um, one episode might be about jug- Juggalos and the Insane Cloud and Posse, and the next episode will be about... Um, a weird you know, math mathematician you know you just don't know what you're gonna get from episode to the next and they have an episode about pokemon go and just how big and <laughs> wide-ranging that phenomena was uh when it happened and um i i think it's possible to kind of forget um how much that release of pokemon go for um androids and iphones like captured a moment <laughs> of popular culture i think it's important to note that that phenomenon was almost entirely based on the the influence of the franchise, the weight that the franchise carried, because Niantic, the developer of Pokemon Go, had released a similar game called Ingress before, which was nowhere near as popular. Uh, and I think the gameplay, in my opinion, is a bit lackluster, and that showed by the, the decline after the re- the initial relative interest. Yeah, you don't see people walking out uh, to the Pokestops as often, <laughs> you know, with their, their <laughs> heads down on their, you know, on their glowing phone screens and, and swiping uh, to spin as, as uh, when it first came out. There's there's still certainly a dedicated fan base. I've I've tapered off how much I play personally, but I know people I've interacted with communities that are still going but that that initial week, it was everyone, even people who had barely played Pokemon before. Yeah, so my familiarity with Pokemon is largely by proxy through uh, producer Andrew, my younger brother. Um, like by the time it became part of American popular culture, I was like in high school and getting ready for college. And I just kind of missed the moment uh, for that. But Andrew, you you were in on the ground floor for Pokemon, right? Yeah, I was probably eight or 10 when the series was first starting out on like American Saturday morning cartoon stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was more aware that it was kind of a thing that existed rather than someone who was really invested. Now, my my kids, because of both Pokemon Go and also like interest in the card game, have started to become invested in Pokemon. And a lot of their fandoms, like I already 
am kind of an expert in because of how I grew up. So like when that would, you know, I have a son who's really into Star Wars. I'm like, I, I got this. I can handle all the questions, uh, you know, throw them at me. Ask what that creature is called. I know it's a Tauntaun, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but with Pokemon, they ask questions I'm like I, I have no idea. And I've reached out to you a couple of times, Michael. <laughs> Um, with questions mm-hmm. about the mechanics of Pokemon and and like these, so these creatures evolve, right? Uh, you know, they 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 have different versions. So um, part of uh, the I think the um, interest in the game isn't just like collecting um, the the different kinds of Pokemon, but then there are ways that you can through through training or or other things, right? You can you can cause one that you've already captured to evolve to the next level and then have a more powerful Pokemon. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And I think that kind of comes down to one of the major aspects of the the game is is trying to form some kind of connection with these artificial creatures. Yeah, so and yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because like the idea of like you capture these creatures and you train them to fight like that can have some unsavory aspects to it um but we'll talk about in the episodes that we're watching for today some of the ways that they um, mitigate that potential uh you know less savory side of the entire concept of pokemon uh but like you're saying it, it also involves like you're actually like bonding with and and trying to uh progress with with these these uh creatures right mm-hmm and I'm sure we're going to get more into this later because you can't talk about Pokemon in this kind of analytical sense without delving into these issues and delving into those themes because they're they're all throughout the Pokemon mm-hmm. franchise, all the um, media of Pokemon. Well, and in acknowledging that I, I've never really been deep into Pokemon, the first thing I really remember about Pokemon was... Um, the incident which caused reactions in in um japanese viewers like i just remember the news media coverage about uh this cartoon that was that caused um issues ranging from headaches to vomiting to seizures in viewers in japan and it turns out one of the episodes we're talking about pikachu's goodbye is the first episode that aired after that incident happened in japan um, so there was an episode that with a strobe light effect uh in the original airing it's obviously been edited out since then caused um seizure-like symptoms uh and and other reactions um because of the sequence and speed at which some of the colors were being flashed on the screen and so in japan when pikachu's goodbye the second episode we're going to talk about uh aired it included uh this pre-recorded segment with a live person from the pokemon company talking about that incident why the show had been on hiatus how they're going to ensure that that never happens again um and and so that was kind of like the first media coverage i remember about pokemon but obviously now like even as someone who's not fully engaged uh with the fandom like i'm aware that pokemon is a very long-running franchise with a very uh uh dedicated fan base to it absolutely yeah and i i was a bit younger at this time and there there are a few episodes of pokemon the pokemon anime that are that are called banned episodes because they either didn't make it to the Western audience or they just haven't been aired again for a variety of reasons, uh, culturally insensitive reasons, things like that. Just, just little things that, uh, I mean, there, there's an episode with a gun in it and that didn't ever make it to Western audiences. Uh, there's some episodes with like cross-dressing that, that kind of, uh, have been blacklisted essentially that don't air again. 
Uh, and I do remember when this particular incident happened, it kind of got convoluted in my mind with all those. So I always like can't remember exactly which episode was banned and if I saw it because everyone's like, oh, I got this bootleg copy of it and I watched this banned episode. There's There was so much myth-making around Pokemon at the time because it was uh, it wasn't pre-internet, but it was pre like verifiable sources on the internet it wasn't quite the same internet we have today and that was that was incredibly prevalent to have these these schoolyard rumors around pokemon and i think that's part of its uh permeance in our culture because uh like i i have several nephews now i have nine nephews that uh, at now right now and basically all of them are obsessed with pokemon and i remember it was like, I'm not going to talk to them about Pokemon. I'm not going to introduce them to about Pokemon because I wasted so much money on the cards. I still love it, but I don't want to put that on them. And they all found out about it on their own. And <laughs> now they come to me with their questions and say, hey, you're the, you're the this, master, blah, blah, blah. Right? <laughs> exactly. I was like, I, I, I make it very clear to my siblings that I did not bring this to them. They, <laughs> they discovered it on their own. So this is not on me. <laughs> But if you if they have questions, you're ready to to answer those, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's it's amazing to see because they're still at the age where they're like they have those schoolyard rumors. They don't have as much access to the internet as I do, so they'll say, "Well, blah blah blah, this thing is true." And I go, "No, that's you can't catch that Pokemon doing that or whatever." And <laughs> you know, uh andrew did you say you had something you wanted to share about pokemon before we moved on to the discussion of these episodes you largely covered it because i wanted to bring up the the episode that had um caused you know a number of of accounts of headaches and epilepsy and everything but the the fun fact that i have about that is by un regulation that episode as it originally aired cannot be aired on any tv station in the world ever <laughs> there is a particular law it's it's treated like a chemical weapon <laughs> that's really interesting so yeah there's there's international regulation about that particular episode stating nobody can air this in its original form i mean obviously yeah, if they do, there, would, there would be a massive sanction wow that's that's really interesting because i from what i understand this isn't this wasn't unique to Pokemon. There were other uh, Japanese animated shows that had similar phenomenon, but I know Pokemon has become the one that's most famous. And I, I don't know for certain that that's true. That's me going off of uh, memory. So I could be incorrect. <laughs> All right. Uh, Michael, do you have any other trivia about Pokemon in general before we move on to discussing these episodes? I, I did have one thing that I, I wrote here. Uh, something I think is just might be relevant to the discussion later in this game, or later in this podcast, rather. Uh, the the names of the protagonist and antagonist in the anime uh, in Japanese, in, in the US, they've been westernized as Ash and Gary. Uh, but in Japanese, they were Satoshi and Shigeru. And Satoshi is the name of, obviously... Uh, the original developer of Pokemon and Shigeru is kind of the name of his mentor slash rival, but not really. Uh, so it was kind of interesting to see this little bit of self-insert from the creator <laughs> of Pokemon into the anime. And I think that 
we don't actually see the rival in any, either of these episodes, uh, and he becomes far less significant as the anime progresses. But seeing that that Ash is kind of this parallel to the creator of Pokemon was was kind of this interesting thing for me to learn later. Oh, I did have one question uh, about this. Now, the anime, as we've said, has over a thousand episodes, and it's about Ash's journey to become. Is it called a Pokemon Master? Is that what title he's speaking? Yes. Um, that's. I mean, that's not an official title. Uh huh. But he wants to be a Pokemon Master, and that's that's kind of an abstract concept. What that actually means. Now, I remember seeing a a, a few months ago news articles that he had finally achieved that. Is that correct? So he became a Pokemon champion, which oh, okay. essentially uh, throughout the Pokemon world, each region has their their like league of Pokemon where you can go and you can do battle. The, the episodes we're talking about right now take place in the Indigo League. This is the first season of Pokemon. It's the first area that Ash explores. It's where his home is. Uh, and he's competed in several of these leagues, and it wasn't until this most recent one where he actually competed and he won a league. So he became a Pokemon champion. But obviously, the Pokemon franchise doesn't want to say this is the end. He's a Pokemon master. We've completed this arc because there's plenty of money left in it. So they've started a new season, and he is exploring the world again. Trying to become a champion in another region, right? Right. Well, this one has been a little bit different. The The episodes haven't aired in the West yet, uh, at the time of this recording, at least. And uh, I've watched some of them subtitled because I don't speak Japanese, but they they aren't focusing on one specific region. He's kind of traveling around, which has been really interesting. Uh, and I'm wondering how the focus of the the show was going to shift because each season they kind of do like a almost like a soft reset they don't fully reset continuity but they kind of ash leaves pretty much all of his pokemon behind except for pikachu and then he gets a whole new team uh it's it's one of the interesting things about pokemon uh how the how the anime has continued for a thousand episodes yeah that's a real slow burn to one of the major accomplishments (laughs) for your protagonist of a series uh, to, to take a thousand episodes to, you know, to achieve that goal. That's I, I can't think of mm-hmm. very many other series that have been able to pull that off for that long. Yeah, I, I, I can't either. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's interesting to discuss because whenever he gets close, there's always message boards discussing, like he's not going to win because of this. And there, there are people get into the lore and all this. It, it, it's interesting, but I, I do love it because it's almost like it feels almost like he's lucked his way into it. <laughs> and he finally got to this region where this is the first year they're doing a Pokemon league. They've never had it before. So they haven't had this kind of custom and he comes in, he's had experience in Pokemon League, So he, obviously he's, he's finally done enough battling where he's not kind of, much of an idiot as he starts out being which i definitely think we see in these episodes he's he can be a little dumb <laughs> and he's still dumb all the time but he's great he's he's got the heart 
All right. Well, before we move on to a full uh, summary of these two episodes, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode and for listening. We especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $8 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office game. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So uh, the the full summary of these two episodes, which um, they're uh, half hour animated um, episodes that are available on Netflix right now. Um, I'm sure they've been available other places and will be in other places in the future. But I was able to pull them up on Netflix to watch. Uh, And the first one is called Bye Bye Butterfree. And uh, we have a trio of friends, Ash, Misty and Brock. Uh, now, Ash is the one who's trying to become the trainer. What exactly were Misty and Brock's roles? Because I was not quite clear as I watched these episodes. Misty uh, functions as a gym leader early on, as well as Brock. Uh, and they both kind of have decided that they want to explore and learn a little bit. Brock is particularly interested in being a Pokemon breeder, uh, which you would think would play into this first episode, but does not. Uh, he this did, is he obviously information. He explained <laughs> stuff in this episode. He, he right? had some information, but he doesn't seem to be as well-versed as an aspiring Pokemon breeder should be. Uh, but these are, these are shows written for children. So sometimes you have to overlook those things. I, I would suspect, but basically they've encountered Ash as he set off on his journey uh, in the first few episodes, I think Missy comes in in the second episode and Brock is in probably the fourth or the fifth, but I don't quote me on that. Uh, and as he encounters them, they kind of decide, oh, well, we should go explore this region with him. We can kind of journey along with him and learn some things about Pokemon because both of them want to basically just explore, grow and become better uh better develop better relationships with Pokemon in general. Their specific oh. goal might differ a little bit than Ash, but it's kind of that same same core idea. Okay. So Ash, Misty, and Brock are traveling together and they see a whole bunch of Butterfree, which is a kind of Pokemon that looks like a moth, I think is probably of a very large moth. Like don't think small. When we talk about Pokemon being small creatures, I don't mean like insect creatures, I mean think dog sized creatures in general, right? I mean, they they vary in sizes from actual insect size to ginormous. I mean, it, it's it's all over all over the board. Oh, okay. <laughs> but well, they, I'd say the average is probably about a small dog size. Yeah, and so uh, they see these butterfree that are flying above the ocean, and Brock explains that part of the butterfree's mating cycle is to pair off and fly over the ocean together to another land where they're going to go have children. Ash realizes that he must release his Butterfree into this flock. So as a Pokemon trainer, they keep Pokemon inside of Pokeballs. Um, So without any real explanation, just hand wavy science of bigger on the inside, they're able to capture these creatures and into balls that are about the size of a baseball and keep them there. Um, And Ash has a Butterfree, Um, but he decides I'm going to release it. After he does this, they uh, take a hot air balloon into the sky to see the swarms of Butterfree that are flying over the ocean. And they also see that there are other Pokemon trainers in hot air balloons as well. 
they see Ash's Butterfree dance for a female Butterfree, but this pink Butterfree um, scratches him instead of joining in the dancing. Butterfree, uh, Ash's Butterfree's heartbroken. Um, one thing I will say, it got a little hard to write the summary because they always refer to their Pokemon by just the Pokemon name. But there's also like mm-hmm. dozens or in this case, hundreds of other of that Pokemon around. Um, so I'm just going to say yes, Ash's uh, Butterfree, I guess. There, there are nicknamed Pokemon, but they're surprisingly rare. Uh, they're, I mean, they're all V-Trainers, and they're like, this is my, my Pikachu Sparky, uh, but most of them just call their Pikachu Pikachu. Okay. Um, so Ash, Brock, and Misty try to coach up this heartbroken Butterfree uh, in the ways of dating. And Brock even ties a dashing bow on him, but this Butterfree is clearly lacking in confidence after this rejection. Team Rocket, who are evil Pokemon trainers, arrive in a helicopter and they lower a giant net and i just want to make clear this isn't like a giant fishing net this is like a butterfly net but the size of a football field (laughs) is what they drop out of the bottom of this helicopter uh and uh they plan to capture dozens and dozens of butterfree all at once now ash's butterfree tries to attack the helicopter but is not successful in its attacks uh team rocket does capture many many butterfree from this um flock ash and his friends follow team rocket to a warehouse butterfree uh Ash's Butterfree goes and breaks the net that is holding all of the captured Butterfree. And that girl who didn't like his dance earlier, she's mighty impressed by this. Team Rocket get back into their helicopter and they plan to just repeat this and try and capture the freed Pokemon. But Ash's Butterfree flies Pikachu up to the helicopter. Pikachu uses a Thunder Shock attack, uh, which shorts out the helicopter's systems. Uh, and the pink Butterfree begins to dance for Ash's Butterfree, and Ash's Butterfree joins into this dance. Ash says goodbye to his Butterfree, and we see a montage of Ash capturing Caterpie. Is that how that one's pronounced? Caterpie. Caterpie, which then evolved into a Metapod, which then evolved into Butterfree. So Ash has had this Pokemon for a little while and seen it mm-hmm. through multiple evolutions, but now he wishes his Butterfree good luck and says goodbye. And that is the end of Bye Bye Butterfree. Now we're going to talk about Pikachu's Goodbye, which is a somewhat similar if I, episode. If I can make just a, a couple notes. This is uh, this Caterpie that evolves into Butterfree is significant because it is the first wild Pokemon that Ash catches. Uh, previously, he had been given Pikachu by Professor Oak, but this is basically his first Pokemon that he got on his own. Uh, so it's significant in that way. Uh, and just a little bit of trivia. I don't think the sh- I don't remember the episode actually specifically mentioning that Ash's Butterfree is male and that the pink Butterfree is female. Uh, there are certain Pokemon that have sexual dimorphism, uh, basically just like different looks depending on if they're male or female. But that okay. actually had not been introduced into the Pokemon lore at this time. Uh, and later on, Butterfree would be one of those Pokemon with sexual dimorphism uh but it's impossible to tell from that later established canon based on that if these are male or female put a okay. i used uh so, so i jumped onto the pokemon fan wiki and looked at its summary as well like just as i after i watched the episode just to kind of like get a recap mm-hmm. and they had used the male and female pronouns there but um like you oh said, i'm I sure I but I, I don't think it was it was just on my mind itself. as i was rewatching yeah. it I uh, because I was thinking like, like clear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it was actually specifically in the episode. So that was just something I wanted to know. Okay. 
All right, now Pikachu's goodbye. In this episode, Ash, Misty, and Brock are in a forest. When Pikachu runs away, they follow Pikachu and see a clan of Pikachu. So now, you know, dozens of Pikachu. At first, the wild Pikachu are scared of Ash's Pikachu, but then they all welcome him. And Ash wants to join the Pikachu clan, but they all run away when they see him. This is one of those moments where you said Ash can be kind of dumb sometimes. Yes. <laughs> like he just <laughs> runs full speed at these wild animals. Like, I want to join too, because my pet just joined you. <laughs> Um, the smallest Pikachu from the clan falls into a river and Ash's Pikachu jumps in to rescue it. The other Pikachu form a chain to catch them before they go over a waterfall. The clan then give Ash's Pikachu an apple and hoist him into the air. Like think end of a football movie style. They're very, very proud of Ash's Pikachu here. Team Rocket shows up and they plan to capture all of the Pikachu with a net. (laughs) There's, again, some repetition here. That night, Ash is moody and stays up late watching the group's campfire, and he resolves that Pikachu should be with his own kind. The Pikachu begin screaming, which wakes up Brock and Misty, and Ash, Brock, and Misty run and find the clan of Pikachu are all trapped in a net. They, uh, those three also get trapped in a net that was set by Team Rocket. Uh, Team Rocket begins carrying the trapped Pokemon away in a hot air balloon. Ash's Pikachu begins chewing a hole in the net that's holding all of the uh, Pikachu that's been carried in the air now. And Ash manages to get free from his net, and he, Brock, and Misty hold their net out like a trampoline, and the clan of wild Pikachu all jump down and land in this uh, trampoline-style net. Ash's Pikachu then climbs up and bites a hole in the hot air balloon, which sends Team Rocket flying away, uh, and Pikachu jumps down into Ash's arms. Ash tries to leave Pikachu with the clan of wild Pikachu, but Pikachu his Pikachu, refuses to stay behind when Ash leaves. Ash is overwhelmed when Pikachu returns to him. We get a montage of all the time that they've spent together uh, and uh, Ash breaks down crying. The end. So these two episodes have very similar plots but they have different resolutions at the end and I think there's also some different themes that are present uh, within them. Um, But one thing I wanted to acknowledge, and maybe we can dig it a little bit more into this, is we touched on earlier that there maybe is some discomfort in relation to the idea of like cockfighting or dogfighting in the way Pokemon trainers capture animals and train them for battle with other trainers that have their own small animals that they've captured for fighting for entertainment, right? And um, I think it's important in these two episodes that we clearly see Ash loves these creatures that he has and he is concerned about what's best for them not what's best for him in his career as a pokemon trainer um he he does let butterfree go um and he is willing to let pikachu go but pikachu chooses not to go um and i think that does uh at least tweak that dynamic to a degree that gives you um uh, more comfort as a viewer absolutely and i think that's i think that's really the core of who ash is to just hit on that right away because you know in both these episodes we kind of see ash at the beginning being like i want like if you've heard the theme song you know i want to be the very best like no one ever was and i think originally when he when butterfree is rejected by this other butterfree he takes that as a shot of his own pride because he sees it as him being rejected uh he's like how could anyone want to reject this Pokemon that I caught, that I trained, that I evolved, uh, I'm going to make this other Pokemon fall in love with it. But at the end of the day, he realizes that that was kind of the brash, egotistical side of him, and he's more concerned about his Pokemon than he is about himself, essentially. And that happens a little bit again with uh, the 
the Pikachu episode where he runs into this clan. He wants to be accepted by this Pikachu. He's just so excited about this. Uh, but then he thinks about his Pikachu, what is best for his Pikachu. And he maybe underthinks what is best for his Pikachu a little bit and kind of rushes to this decision. But it's it's very similar parallel that he is more concerned about what's best for his Pokemon. And that's that's a theme that they do over and over. We see this all throughout the anime where Ash wants something. He maybe forgets this lesson he's learned a billion times. Uh, and then at the end of the day, he remembers what his heart is telling him. And that's to care for his Pokemon. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that um, you're able to get that message across in two episodes that again, but they have fairly similar plot structure, but a very different finales. And yet that same core message about kind of um, who Ash is and his relationship with these Pokemon carries through. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, I want uh, one thing that stood out to me as I was watching um, Bye Bye Butterfree. That's the name of the episode, right? Yeah. Bye Bye Butterfree was um, it, it made me think of The Machine in the Garden, which is something I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast. It's a book by Marx, Leo not the other marks uh, about technology and its relationship in, in popular narratives, how we talk about technology um, and its intrusions into nature. And there is something very pristine and um, utopic and even Eden-esque about the relationship between these Pokemon trainers and the Butterfree when they're in hot air balloons, which is not a very intrusive form of technology. Uh, and they're watching the Butterfree, um, you know, these swarms of Butterfree. It's very much like, you know, when people talk about seeing the monarch butterflies in their, um, you know, flight, uh, you know, as they move as well. And, and you can be enveloped in these swarms of them. I'm sure that was part of uh, the inspiration for this. And then you get the intrusion of Team Rocket and this a mechanical helicopter, which is loud and noisy and violent to the air currents. Um, and it, it's very disruptive to everything that you're seeing. And it immediately, in a way that is... Um, even apparent in uh, the coded symbolism for children that are watching this marks the team rocket as intrusive and um, problematic in this space that they're entering. Absolutely. And I I think it's worth noting that team rocket doesn't typically use helicopters. They're most commonly associated with like a, a submarine in the shape of a giant fish that's powered by pedaling or most notably (laughs) A helicopter, or not a helicopter, a hot air balloon. The, the amount of pedaling it would take to move a significant a amount. <laughs> but if you had to, if if you were to take this episode out of your mind and think about the Pokemon canon and say who is most associated with hot air balloons, it would be Team Rocket. So the idea that they're not using a hot air balloon in this episode is, I think, especially significant because just going off what you said, I mean. Uh, they ha- they're in a helicopter, which is much more of a machine than what they normally would be seen in. And I think that really highlights that same idea that you're hitting on. Yeah, and I, I like how um, th- that can at times be like a complex idea to try and communicate, but it, it's simplified for this children's cartoon, but I think it's done very successfully. And it's something that definitely stands out as a theme of this episode. And I don't know a whole lot about Team Rocket and how they function. I also, real quick, they have a Pokemon that talks. Meow, meow. Is that right? Yes. 
Um, uh, we could be here for days <laughs> talking about spoken. how Pokemon can talk. This is this is a whole whole idea in and of itself. Uh, I believe it's explored later that Meowth, this particular Meowth, uh, basically through sheer force of his own will, learned how to speak the human language. Uh, I, I believe that's correct. Doing so lost him the cost of his signature move, which is payday. Uh, the actual mechanics of how he learns how to talk is not not fully explored, but there are other instances of Pokemon talking throughout the show and the other media as well. Uh, but Meowth is kind of unique, uh, as in he's this he's this one anomaly that on his own learned how to speak the English language. Okay. I, I was just wondering about that. And I'm glad I assumed in a thousand episodes, there'd been some acknowledgement that this is unlike the other Pokemon that we're seeing. Yes. And also, no, I, I think they don't really delve into this idea that, wow, your Meowth can talk when they first encounter him, which is, they just kind of accept it. Okay. <laughs> um, how I guess this idea of of Team Rocket, um, like in the two episodes, which I think are the only two episodes of Pokemon I have ever seen fully, we see them just trying to capture as many Pokemon as they can. Um, is that really the, their primary motivation in this? Their their primary motivation is to essentially impress their boss. Uh, they are part of an organized crime syndicate. Team Rocket, uh, the boss is Giovanni, uh, who I believe in the anime, I definitely know in the games, he is revealed to be a gym leader. Uh, and there's a confrontation between your the, the player character and him in the game storylines. I don't remember exactly how it plays out in the TV show uh, because it's been so long, but I know he's actually made appearances in much later seasons as well. And his Team Rocket still is present. Their their idea is they want to impress him, and the way they see to impress him is to either capture many Pokemon or powerful Pokemon or ideally many powerful Pokemon. <laughs> yes, and that, combine those two goals into one. Yes, and that I think is part of their fascination with Pikachu, uh, because Pikachu is semi rare. In the Pokemon universe, not fully addressed, but he he definitely occurs. Pikachu definitely occurs less than other Pokemon, and Ash's Pikachu in particular uh, has displayed a phenomenal amount of power relative to other Pikachu, and that is not again kind of like a talking meowth is never fully addressed. No one's like, "Wow, that Pikachu is amazingly powerful," but Pikachu consistently does things that other Pikachu are not able to do. Now, with the Pikachu, I, I don't know how you how what the, the right term is. Like, there are other evolutions. Like, Pikachu is the the lowest level of that kind of Pokemon, right? Mm-hmm. At at this time, in this stage, it is the lowest level. There is a, a baby form of Pikachu that comes later, uh, but that had not been created at the time of these episodes. Well, franchise is always chasing the baby money by putting out a baby mm-hmm. version of the popular cute character, right? Yes. And um, uh, oh, so Pikachu can evolve at this point. 
into a Raichu, which is a significantly less cute Pokemon. Uh, and one of the things that happens a few times in the anime is Ash wrestles with this question of, should I evolve Pikachu into a Raichu? Would that make it more powerful? Uh, and at the end of the day, he always comes back to, I don't think Pikachu wants that, so I'm not going to do that. And obviously, Raichu is far less marketable than Pikachu, so there's a secondary reason for that. But I mean, Ash, uh, Ash has that struggle with a few of his Pokemon. Oh, certainly, certainly. I mean, he is and, using base level of more than one Pokemon mm-hmm. for far too long. <laughs> Especially in the more recent seasons, he's stuck with base level Pokemon for a long period of time. Uh, and we see kind of an evolution of Ash as a whole where he goes from, oh, hey, there's this wild Caterpie. I'm going to throw a Pokeball at it without really confronting it at all. And then it joins his team, which is his first Pokemon that becomes this Butterfree, to the point where he basically asks Pokemon if they want to join his team in later seasons. He never, like... I haven't seen him try to capture one through force in a long time. Uh, but it's it's kind of this idea that he is just focused on what does my Pokemon want? What would be best for them? Uh, and that, that evolution thing, early on, one of the, the earliest Pokemon he gets is a Charmander. And that Charmander evolves too quickly. And that's a recurring storyline that they address, that this Charmander has evolved too quickly. And I think... Ash kind of maybe took that to heart over the seasons and he he really realized like I need to make sure they're ready and that I'm ready and that they want this as well. Now, does Team Rocket try to use non-base level Pokémon? Are they like when you said they're pursuing the most powerful Pokémon, are they going for evolved Pokémon more than the base level? The within the the realm of Pokémon at least in the anime they kind of accept that the most evolved Pokemon doesn't necessarily mean the most powerful. Uh, there is there is a specific one I'm thinking of where Pikachu, Ash and Pikachu are battling Lieutenant Surge and a Raichu. Uh, and that's one of the times where Ash wonders, should I evolve Pikachu? Because they initially lose the battle to him and they think, well, if we're more powerful, then we can beat this Raichu. Uh, and then Ash finds another way for Pikachu to... Uh, to beat this Raichu basically by outspeeding Raichu, which is an advantage that Pikachu has over Raichu. So within within the realm of Pokemon, uh, the most evolved isn't necessarily the most powerful. Uh, and we we see Team Rocket's relationship with Pokemon is a bit different. Also, Joseph, there's different types of Pokemon that inherently have a power dynamic advantage. And sometimes people don't take advantage of that. Oh, and Ash is famous at not taking advantage of yeah, that. Like, like playing a Pikachu against a Raichu is kind of a dumb move when he could play a different Pokemon that would have a natural advantage against a Raichu. Mm-hmm. So why do you think, from what I'm hearing and what I've seen in these two episodes, and you've acknowledged, Ash maybe not the savviest trainer uh, in the history of Pokemon. Uh, Why do you think he's become this core protagonist that's captivated audiences for a thousand episodes? 
That's a really good question. Uh, I like I like Ash because he's he is dumb, but he's getting better like very slowly. It's taken, I don't know, 20 plus years. But I remember watching one of the more recent seasons and watching the way that he battled and thinking back to the earlier seasons. And I'm like, this is actually slightly different. Like he's actually learned a few things and it's it's just nice to see this dumb kid become a slightly less dumb kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even going back to the idea of team rocket with this fancy helicopter coming in with a giant net to try and swoop in and capture all the butterfree. I think there's something kind of um, like there's a class dynamic. It feels like where we're like Ash is this kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Horatio Alger type figure compared to like these well-heeled team rocket who have all this technology on their side that are funded by this organization. And it is very easy to root for the underdog. Now, one thing that I think narratives often run into in evolving characters where like they have a goal to obtain, but this is going to be a long running franchise. Once they obtain that goal, they might cease to be the underdog. And it sounds like Pokemon has actually successfully managed to keep Ash and Pikachu as underdogs for decades and literally thousands of stories. Um, whereas when, you know, the, the whole goal is to become a master trainer or a champion, like that's the, the the pinnacle that the audiences want to see them reach but once they reach there now they're kind of like the the established dominant force that you expect a new underdog to come overthrow and maybe there's um something deliberate in in preventing them from actually achieving that that goal Mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm thinking you know obviously i'm thinking of every pokemon episode that i've seen and it it is kind of interesting that team rocket early on kind of seems like this this class dynamic where they are well-funded, they they do come from this this more powerful position. Uh, but at the end of the day, we see their backstories, and one of them does come from a very fancy, rich background, uh, and the other one was not. But they both kind of have tragic backstories uh, in a way. I don't remember the details, but I know that, you know, they had, they had issues, and they... they mm-hmm some more emotional episodes trying to give them more of a backstory and more relatability to the audiences. Uh, and Ash doesn't really have a tragic backstory that's like explored at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't know anything about his dad, but we're never told like his dad's completely out of the picture or his dad. I don't know. There's a lot of theories as well about. I wonder if that reveal is penciled in for episode 2000. When we get there, we're finally (laughs) going to tell the audience what's up. with. I doubt it. (laughs) Their tradition for protagonists is to just kind of write away their dad and just have their mom be there. Um, But Ash is just so full of heart at the end of the day. And that's really what makes Ash who he is and the way that they kind of keep resetting him and making him the underdog is by, you know, keeping him a little stupid for one thing, but also every time he goes to this new region, he finds new friends to work with. And so those friends are just beginning on their exploration. And so they have to learn as well. Uh, But they, they do. I feel like it's really just Ash's heart that, that drives who he is as a character. And, uh, Overall, I think it's a little harder to say this like 
as an overarching story over a thousand episodes that it is this, you know, Horatio Alger type thing. Uh, I mean, maybe that's just because I'm not a huge fan of the pull yourself up by the bootstraps <laughs> well, also, stories. We're going to go he never from really lower middle class up, to right? middle class. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't love those types of stories myself. So I, mm-hmm. I try to distance myself from them, but I, I do see some parallels, what you're getting out there for certain. But like, we, like we're saying though, he never actually like pulls himself all the way up. That's part of how no, he doesn't know this, this, um, and you know, maintains the, um, like what is it Umberto Eco in writing about superheroes uh, like American superhero comics he said they have to present the illusion of change but always reset back to the status quo that that we love of course and, know. Yeah. and uh you know this this thousand episodes of Pokemon is like one of the parallel as far as narrators go could be like ex- exploring the thousand Superman stories or uh, you know Spider-Man stories and there still always has to be that core that an audience member who like grew up reading could, could check back in and like recognize everything. But it also is supposed to present this illusion of transformation and evolution um, within that. And uh, it sounds like from what you're describing, like Pokemon has a few tricks to do this. Like every, every season when he goes to a new region, it's kind of like a new hero's journey is going to begin. Like there's a new unknown world. He's going to get a new fellowship that, ha- you know, that he's going to form around him. Um, he's going to gain some new skills, but it's still uh, enough of the ash that we all, uh, you know, the, the, the viewers have come to know that it's still going to have that familiarity to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in a way, maybe this makes Ash's story more realistic than the traditional rags to riches story, because we have someone coming from not an unprivileged background, kind of just lucking his way into success over and over again. <laughs> uh but he has heart. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, not so much success that that's, it changes. That's the most status quo, right? You know, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it took him 20 years to essentially luck his way into becoming a Pokemon champion. And <laughs> I think there's there's something realistic about that. Uh without getting too political. Right. I mean, there's the the mix of constant hard work but then also the exact right situation and timing and that element of luck that you're saying is what absolutely led to his success um and and he couldn't if he just had luck without all the hard work he wouldn't have been prepared to take advantage of the situation that arose but if he just kept working and working and working but never lucked into this new region that had a new uh contest going on he also wouldn't have become the champion right yeah i i think for sure and he also, uh, you know, throughout the story, we, we get several, uh, I don't know what the right term for it is, but he, he's got kind of like a, a chosen one syndrome where certain things just happen for him in a certain way that don't happen for other people. And they can't fully explain it because he's the protagonist at the end of the day. Right. He's the one with the theme song of I'm, I'm going to be the very, very best. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, is there anything about these two issue or two episodes that we're talking about that you also want to dig into? Um, probably. I mean, I could talk about them for a while. So when you when you first asked me, you know, one or two episodes, I tried to think about which two episodes growing up seemed most significant to me. 
Uh, and I do remember just being absolutely heartbroken at both of these episodes. Uh, and then watching them again as an adult, I got to admit, they do not carry the same weight. <laughs> they are clearly aimed for children. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's understandable. Audience. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, it's just, it was so strange for me to rewatch these and be like, why did I like cry when he said goodbye to Butterfree? Um, but yeah, I think there, there's a lot of, you know, when you get down to the, like, what are the ethics of Pokemon? We have this fictional world and we have to wonder what they're, if what they're doing is okay. Uh, and these two episodes really hit on that more than other episodes do because Pokemon doesn't want to fully approach that question. Um, except for a couple times when they get close, but they never, they never fully address this idea of is Pokemon training morally right? Is this an ethical thing to do? Uh, and what it makes me think of is, uh, Thomas Nagel's thought experiment of the spider in the urinal, where he talks about how, uh, at his university, there was a spider that would be in the urinal. Uh, every time he went, I'm I'm sorry, this is a little bit crass. Uh, I've heard it adapted into a shower but uh in the original form it is a urinal and he tries to scare it off each time but it just keeps coming back uh, and he raises the question of what is the right thing to do should i take that spider out and move it outside so that it can escape um or or what uh, what what do i do at the end of the day and you know if i bring it outside is it going to uh survive and it's kind of this this question that i think underlies a lot of pokemon is are we doing the right thing for these Pokemon? And how do we know? Like, we can think this is going to be the best thing for them, but how do we know? And I think that hits on that a little bit, especially in that second episode where Ash has that Harry and the Hendersons moment where he says, you know, to paraphrase, uh, can't you see we don't want you anymore? Like, essentially, not not quite that, but he says, you know, Pokemon, you're going to be Pikachu, you're going to be happier living out here this is what's best for you and then he realizes that he was wrong yeah and um there is an acknowledgement of the agency of the pokemon in both of these like what is best for butterfree what does butterfree want and what is best for pikachu and what does pikachu want and um in the second one he's wrong about what pikachu wants (laughs) right uh (laughs) and, and i think it's uh, again, I am not nearly as well versed in the lore of Pokemon. I don't know if there's like protesters outside of these Pokemon arenas <laughs> arguing for the rights of Pokemon or anything like that. Uh, but I think it's, it, it was interesting to see it acknowledged in one of the only episodes I've seen of Pokemon, like this idea of agency and the idea of uh, like wild Pokemon that are living lives outside of this um, arena system that I was familiar with from you know just being around pop culture enough to know about the games and pokemon go and gyms and arenas and everything you know you see this what do they call it the clan of wild pikachu um and ash assumes or or decides what is going to be best for his pikachu uh and then is overwhelmed with relief (laughs) when his pikachu makes a different choice at the end Mm -hmm. and i do think there's kind of this like willing blindness to a lot of those questions but they do they do hit on it and there there's more obvious things where you see a trainer mistreating a pokemon and that's clearly shown like this is amoral this is not something uh sorry this is immoral this is not something you should be doing 
uh, or, you know, Team Rocket is trying to steal Pokemon, take them away from their trainers. Uh, but the question of, at the end of the day, is keeping these living sentient creatures as essentially pets and competing them against each other an ethical thing to do is not quite as delved into. But I do like that these these episodes hit on it because that's, to me, one of the most interesting things to think about within the realm of Pokemon. Well, and when you reference like the sentience of these of these Pokemon, uh, like really, it's like when you have Meowth, who's there having full conversations uh, in in English for us, right? Uh, that, that you have to wonder, like, how smart are all these? Like, what is the level of sentience? Like when they just are making cute sounds that is repeating the name of the Pokemon over and over again, that feels very different in terms of keeping as a pet and <laughs> you know, like the, the, the more of an owner pet relationship than when you have. Meowth, who's who's walking on hind legs and, and uh, you know, talking nonstop. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it does make me think. So there was a, a, a recent Pokemon movie, and typically the Pokemon movies are kind of within the same anime universe, and they just tell a standalone story that's never acknowledged in the TV show. And they, they try to focus on like some more epic story. Uh, but one of the more recent movies was retelling Ash's story and kind of hitting on these highlights. It, it showed this Butterfree scenario. It was all within the episode of a movie. Uh, and then his relationship with Pikachu as it evolves, uh, presumably over a longer time span than a single episode. Uh, and at the end of it, Pikachu, um, there, there's this moment where Ash jumps in front of an attack to protect Pikachu, which is a typical thing Ash does. He does that several times. Uh, but this Ash and this Pikachu, they're like lying, knocked, almost unconscious. And uh, Ash asks his Pikachu why he never wants to go on his Pokeball. Because uh, essentially, if this Pikachu went in the Pokeball at that time, it would like save him or something. I don't remember the exact details. But the Pikachu, uh, we hear its thoughts, essentially. And it says, because I, I couldn't stand being away from you at the end of the day. Uh, which is this weird thing of how Ash understood Pikachu in this specific moment. Uh, but it does make me think about, I, I saw a news story about, I think it was a, a speech pathologist who uh, built this board with buttons on it for her dog. Uh, and each button would play a sound and the dog would was learning to basically like communicate through this board where it would press a button and say like, go outside. And like, so there's a button for go a button for outside. And it was learning to construct sentences, express what it want, wanted, uh, which makes this seem a lot more real when you have this idea of these Pokemon that can talk or, or have some level of sentience beyond what we would assume that our pets do. Right. Beyond animal instinct. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, any final thoughts on Pokemon as a franchise or on these two episodes? At the end of the day, I love it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it it can be stupid, but even today, I love watching the anime episodes. They they're not like great pieces of TV or anything, but they're they're fun to watch and 
they're never bad. There's not an episode where I'm like, that was just a bad episode. Uh, and I think that goes for a lot of the other media as well, the games and stuff. I just, I love it. This is, I've invested so much in it and it's, it's just so much fun to explore this universe and be a part of it. Uh, clearly there's something there that a lot of people enjoy when this is the most profitable franchise in a, a world, which is dominated by media franchises at this point. Like the idea of like telling the next chapter of a story we've, we've been trained. Like this is, this is what we do now. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we're going to reboot sitcoms that have been gone for 10 years just to tell you what, where the characters are now, or, uh, you know, our, our movies are going to become more serialized than they have been since the age of movie serials. Uh, Yet this is the franchise that I noted at the beginning has uh, that has you know dominated, and again, it's a, it's a fairly young franchise in the world of of um, mass mass entertainment. You know, it's uh, Superman has many decades on, and you know the whole Marvel universe has many decades, uh, you know, more in in terms of length of existence, and yet Pokemon has caught on. And for me, it's really been interesting to see how my kids are engaging with it. It's not how I would have engaged with media franchises. It's more like, okay, I, you know, today I feel like watching a Pokemon show and it's like, all right. And then it may be weeks before they want to watch another one, but it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that they're starting to show interest in and, and they want to learn the card games and they've got cards and we've played a few rounds and he's got one Pokemon handbook that he picked up at a scholastic book fair. Um, which you know how scholastic book fairs are in elementary school. Like it's just a cornucopia mm-hmm. of everything you want. And he wanted the Pokemon handbook. Uh, and so he now knows like facts uh, about, you know, different types of Pokemon and their evolution that I I've never learned. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting for me to like, just see them having their own ownership where it's not like me saying, you're going to like this franchise. So please watch star Wars. It's them discovering it, uh, you know, by themselves. I, I mean, I'm sure they're just going because of friends and, you know, other things that they see. It's not like they're just have, have encountered Pokemon all of a sudden. Uh, but, but I'm, I, I want to see how this grows for my kids and it's going to make me become more invested in Pokemon. Uh, you know, if this is something that they really do uh, connect with and they want to play the card games more i will learn the rules of the card game and learn the different evolutions of these characters uh through that exposure through my children mm-hmm. all right well michael thank you so much for coming on this episode as our pokemon expert uh you're now the official protagonist podcast pokemon expert i just hope you're ready thank for that for title. having me <laughs> and that's, uh, uh, that's at- quite the title and i i wear it with honor <laughs> As a first-time guest, you get our dinner party question, which we ask all of our first-time guests. We are a podcast dedicated to talking about great characters in great stories. And if you could have a dinner guest with any three to five fictional characters, who would you want to hang out with for an evening just to enjoy the conversation? Uh, so as I was thinking about this, as a bit of a backstory on why I'm picking this particular character, uh, despite an obsession with Pokemon and uh, also watching some Dragon Ball Z episodes and a a young obsession with Power Rangers that has faded a little bit. Uh, I didn't watch a lot. I I haven't watched any anime outside of those three franchises that I just named, uh, which Power Rangers is an an anime, but it's, it's similar. It, it, it shares a lot of, uh, similarities with anime but i i had never watched anime until this most recent summer this past summer 
Um, and I recently finished Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is absolutely my favorite franchise ever at this point, even though I've only just came across it. I, I'm, I'm obsessed. It's, it's been on my mind nonstop for the past, past few months. Uh, so the character I would pick would be uh, Kaoru Nagasi, which is a character that's only in one episode, uh, and I won't say too much about it in case somebody wants to go watch Neon Genesis Evangelion, because it is highly worth the watch, and there is there's a lot to it. Uh, but to me, he is the one character that's like not terrible, not seriously, since not seriously broken in some way, uh, and seeing how much he means to the main character Shinji made it seem like he would be the most interesting character to have uh, dinner with at the end of the day. Now, I, that is a franchise I am only, I really only know it exists. I don't know much about it. So if you could give like a two sentence encapsulation of what that franchise is. Uh, that may not be possible. I fully accept that. <laughs> it's, it's a, so it's honestly, it's one season and then a movie you get to watch. So it's like essentially 26 episodes you need to watch. Uh, it's just worth just watching. It is a, a giant robot anime um, where young children are piloting these mechs. Uh, and then there's a lot more to it that you discover along the way. Okay. But it is, it's just a phenomenal work as a whole. And it, it amassed a cult following uh, for a good reason. Part of the reason was because of its inaccessibility as far as actually being able to watch it. Uh, and it recently has been uh, has been added to Netflix. So now is the time to watch it if you've never seen it before. All right. Uh, any any other characters you would like to have at your dinner party there? Um, that's the only one I thought of. <laughs> No, that's that's fine. <laughs> well, thank you again, Michael, for joining us in this episode about Ash Ketchum and the Pokemon franchise. Um, that is going to wrap this up. And for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a, re- a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music, and also listener Thomas, who asked us to cover uh, Pokemon. Uh, Thomas sent a few suggestions uh, in. This is the first one that we've gotten to, and I'm glad that we covered it. It feels weird to be uh, almost 300 episodes into a podcast about great characters and great stories, and we had not talked about one of the most successful franchises in all of pop culture until now. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski and our producer Andrew is at Disminute and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Uh, Michael, do you have anything you would like to plug at all? Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Meehan, M-E-E-H-A-N. And I also stream on Twitch. I do play Pokemon games on Twitch, uh, but my, my Twitch username is xmehan. All right. Well, thank you again. And thank you, uh, listeners, for downloading this episode. We will be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
All right, Andrew, do you want to stop the recording real quick to get a uh, make sure we get this audio all squared away? Yeah. <laughs>